Thank you, ladies, for that beautiful song. And it is time to set us free, friends. Pastor Joe sends his greetings. I just came back from my campus. You know, he took the, the spirit of mission to be encountered here with his church, to his church out there in Spirit Lake, Idaho. You know, Steve Bridges, one of his Spokane, one of Spirit Lake, Idaho. And he rallied about 40 people together to come out to Montana and work on that project there. And at first, he was concerned he would not have enough people. And he went to the board and he presented the project. He, he made a suggestion that they would pledge $15,000 towards the work they would be doing there. They would go out, they, they plan on doing the primer and painting on the inside of the building. And they were going to attempt to get all the stucco work done, excavation work, and a little more, and uh, build the entryway going into the building. So they decided they would pay $15,000. And he called me and said, You know, uh, looks like I got about 12 people, and then it went up to 23 people, and he would call me back and say, I got 28 people, and finally you had 40 people to go on this trip. Amen. And they raised $23,000. So God is working mightily to pass the Joe out there and he sends his greetings to everyone. It was not long ago, I would say it was about 12 years, that's not long, really, when you think about eternal life, that I would encounter a young man on a job site. His name was Jimmy. Jimmy was a very talented man. And uh, he had a lot of promise in his younger years as a tennis player, and he really wanted to be a professional tennis player, but due to some injuries, he could not pursue that. But God led him to another vocation of tool and dime, and he did very well in that. I would meet him on a different type of vocation and that he was involved in, and while we were working together, I started sharing with him the good news of the gospel. It stirred his heart, and I made an appeal to him to take a journey with me to know Christ. He would start that journey, and it would not be long before he would stumble and fall away. It would be a couple of years before I would see Jimmy again, and as we would pass one another again on a job site, we begin to talk about spiritual things. He expressed again his desire to be free from some of the things that were holding him back from his encounter with the living Christ. We began to study again. He started coming at first. It looked real promising. And then he fell away. This happened four times, three times. Then, about, oh, four or five months ago, I got a call. It had been about six years since I'd seen him. He said to me, he said, Dennis, I want to fulfill the promise I made years ago. And that is to finish friends, to get baptized, and to serve the Lord. He said, I want to be baptized in the village church. And I don't want to just come and sit in a pew. I want to serve the Lord. And so we've been on this journey for some time now. 
And one of the things that we've talked about is some of the history of Israel. And we're going to talk about that today. And how a lot of their history really parallels our lives personally and corporately. And so before we start, I'd like you to bow your head and bow your and pray. Gracious loving Father, we come to the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for these, this story, for the left on record, for our learning, for our encouragement, for warning, and direction in our lives. Also, the Holy Spirit will lead and that you hide me behind the cross, and that your voice will be heard, and that you will lead us into a deeper experience of the today. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 6. Since the fall of man, it's been God's desire to empower us and deepen the experience for him and bring us into a knowledge of who he is. And that experience entails deliverance. And one of the greatest stories left on record of God's promise of deliverance is here in the Exodus. Chapter 6. The Lord said unto Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand shall he let you go. And with a strong hand so he drives them out of this land. God is speaking, he will let them go. But Pharaoh will let them go, and he will drive them out of the land. You see, slavery is one of the worst things humanity could experience. But slavery to sin is even greater than that. And so while they were in a physical bondage, as we read through this story, understand that God is really out to set us free from spiritual bondage. And the Lord God spake unto Moses, and said unto him, I am the Lord. I appeared unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by the name of Jehovah was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, and the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. But look, friends, our parents, and perhaps our grandparents, have had maybe an encounter with the living God. But that does not take the place of us experiencing Him ourselves. We will not get into heaven on the coattails of anybody else's experience their own. And so, God is about to give them, the children of Israel, at this time, an encounter with Himself. They've been in slavery for many, many years. They have grown accustomed to the the things around them, the condition they were in, but yet they wanted freedom. Verse 5, he says here, God says, I have heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore stand to the children of Israel and the Lord? I want you to listen to me. Count how many times God says, I will. This is very important. It has significant meaning. Say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you off from underneath the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rid you out of your bondage. I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. I will take you to me for a people, 
I will be to your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land concerning the which I did swear unto to give unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you for a heritage. I am the Lord. How many times, friends? Seven times. In other words, God is going to complete what he has promised. In Philippians 1 6, he says that we can have confidence in him that he will complete the work that he's begun in us unto the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice the response of the children. And Moses spake so unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. You see, they could not see a way out of their slavery. And perhaps there's many today listening online or here today that cannot see a way out of certain sins that you may find yourself bound to in a slave body. But let's be honest with ourselves. When we think of slavery to sin, what are some of the things you think about? What are some of the addictions that perhaps come to your mind or the type of people that come to your mind when you think of slavery to sin? We not always think of the addicts. We not always think of those that are bound by perverse appetite and passion. Do we ever consider the pride of our own heart or the selfishness that dwells within us? Do we ever think much about how these things in themselves have bound us to the enemy? In Proverbs chapter 16, God talks about six things, or six, I'm sorry, six verse 16, he talks about things that are abominated by him. And one of the first things he says is a proud look. When I thought about that recently, when I was reading that text, I was thinking about people that kind of look down their nose at somebody else because perhaps of their education or their status in life, perhaps their social environment or perhaps their race, or their color, or their ethnic background, a proud look. These are all sins that God would seek to set us free from, but we must recognize our need. I believe Israel recognized their need, and God would hear the groaning of their heart. This is a beautiful thing because before we would even express something within us. Openly, God could hear the enemy within to be free. There's a beautiful statement here in Christ's Articles that says this from page 26. If you take even one step toward him in repentance, he will hasten to enfold you in his arms of infinite love. His ears open to the cry of the contrite soul. The first reaching out of the heart after God is known to him. Never a prayer is offered, however faltering. Never a tear is shed, however secret. Never a sincere desire after God is cherished, however feeble. But the Spirit of God goes forth to meet it. Now listen to this last part. Even before the prayer is uttered, or the yearning of the heart made known, grace from Christ goes forth to meet the grace that is working in the soul. So before you and I can even express a desire for freedom from a particular sin in our lives, 
God is always here and already here in our heart by now. You see, the Holy Spirit is constantly drawing the human heart to God. If we don't resist them, we will encounter the living Christ. And that is what the ultimate goal of the Father is to do, is draw us to His Son. And as long as we don't resist, we will have a beautiful experience of God. In the deliverance of Israel, God was leading them into a relationship with Him. Now, if you look at the covenant that God wants to make with each and every one of us, it's based upon a set of boundaries that protect the relationship. It's the Ten Commandments. He wants to make this covenant with you and I, where He writes it in our heart and our mind, you know, and then it, it becomes part of who we are. But in order to do this for Israel, in order to do this for us, He has to take us on a journey so that we will encounter Him, so that we will know Him, because you and I will not surrender to somebody we don't know. Let's face it. We trust somebody we don't know. We give yourself and surrender fully to a God you do not know anything about, or maybe just a little bit about. I would suggest that this is maybe is one of the greatest challenges our church faces today among the congregation around the world, and perhaps even here. And that is knowing God personally, fully and completely to the point we're willing to follow Him anywhere He will be, and surrender all to Him fully and completely. And so He would take them on a journey. He promised them deliverance. He promised to restore them. He promised to bring them into the land that He had promised to their forefathers. And over the next several chapters, as you read through the Exodus, God is revealing Himself as a sovereign God, as a mighty God, as, a, as one that is able to do for them what He had promised. He would humble the Egyptians through the plagues. And just before He would bring Israel out, He would tell them that they had to do something. Because that last plague was coming, and they could only find security and safety and the shed blood of the Lamb. See, the promise would come first, then God would lead them to an encounter with a sacrifice. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. And it give them precise instruction on how to take care of this land and prepare it. And it had to be a land without blemish. It had to be kept up for so many days. And then in the evening, it had to be killed. Verse 7, And then so they take the blood and strike it upon the two side posts of the upper door post of the house, where in short, and, and where they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in the night and roast it with fire and with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. And see, they were given clear instruction. It wasn't enough for them just to, to sacrifice the land. If they did not apply the blood appropriately, it would not protect them. And so, it's not enough for us to just believe in the Christ for the forgiveness of sins. We must, by faith, be constantly receiving spiritual strength and nourishment 
from him through his word. Remember, Jesus said, Except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, there is no one thing. He said, Whosoever shall eat my flesh and drink my blood shall have eternal life. And he would go on to say in John 6 63, the word says, Begun to bear our spirit and bear life. And so, although we know that Jesus died for the world, we must come to the clear understanding that he died for you and I individually. And we must make it personal to ourselves. Because often if we just think about if you guys are what else they would have done for me, we find it hard to build that relationship. The deliverance would come, but it was only going to be through faith in what God could do for them. Faith alone would bring about their deliverance. We can think about this things because there's nothing that we can do to earn God's favor. There's nothing we can do to add to the deliverance that He's about to bring in our lives. It's through faith in Him alone and everything He has promised to do and He is doing and will do that will bring us to that full restoration that He desires to accomplish in our life. Remember, we are saved by grace through faith. Now, when I was in the Amazon recently, I met a man that he had a burden to be free. And, and, and he, he saw many times how people would come down the river, they would preach a message of the gospel, and people would be excited to hear what they had to say. They would baptize a bunch of people, then he would go away and and then he noticed that those people later would be somewhat discouraged and even sorry that they were even baptized. You see, they were, they were told certain things in regards to the gospel, but they weren't given the full gospel. And when I would meet this man, the burden of his heart was that he would have a living experience first. He wanted to experience God's grace in his life. He just didn't want favor and forgiveness, he wanted freedom and salvation fully and completely. And so, as he would come out night after night to the meetings, and I would go and meet with him, his question to me was this. Is there any understand something? So I want to make sure I get this right. So first, I'm studying the Word. He didn't just want to hear one message or two when they get baptized. He said, first I study the Word and I have my own experience. And then I get baptized. And I told him, yes, that's how it's going to work. You see, because the burden of his heart was to experience God delivering him from his pride, his arrogance, and his other addictions that he had in life. He heard how it was helping other people, how the gospel was working in my life and others that were giving testimony to it, and he wanted to experience that himself. And I want to share with you, friends, that it's important that we have a clear understanding of what grace is to us. Because as I first came into the church, I would hear that grace was God's unmerited favor. It is true, it is. And I would hear this story that 
explained in evangelistic meeting that this is how grace works. Perhaps you were speeding down the road and got pulled over by a police officer and pulled you over. And instead of writing me a ticket, he gave you a warning. He showed you grace. And then he let you go. Well, that didn't really work for me as far as the meaning of grace because I'm the known to that speaker. I've been pulled over many times in my life. I received many tickets for speeding. And every time that officer came up, whether he gave me a ticket or he let me go, it did not change my behavior. I needed a grace, and this man needed a grace, and you and I need a grace that's going to do more than just show us favor. It's a grace that's going to change our lives. It's a grace that's going to bring us in harmony with the righteous principles of God's Word. And so I began to do a little research, and I found a a meaning attached to the word grace in this strong concordance, and it said, God's divine influence upon the heart in its reflection in the life. Saved by grace. God's divine influence in the heart in its reflection in the life. And so this is what the Lord wants to do for each and every one of us. The Lamb is not only slain to provide forgiveness for our sins, but it's to transform our lives. The infinite sacrifice, not only that sin might be removed, but that human nature might be restored, re-beautified, reconstructed from its wounds, and made fit for the presence of God. That's being saved by grace and faith in what God can do for us. Friends. That's why we can't boast. It's all what he's doing and not ourselves. No more than could Israel set them free from the bondage of Egypt. No more can we set our free self free from the bondage of sin, whatever that sin may be. So God would lead them out. He would make a promise. He would lead them to the sacrifice. And he would point them to their destiny, the promised land. And on that journey, there was many lessons for them to learn. And I want to look at a few of those lessons. Turn with me to chapter 14. I'm going to start out in chapter 13, verse 17. So they are sent out of Egypt. They are on their way, and God would lead them to the Red Sea. There were mountains all around them, and the sea was before them. Verse 17. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God let them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was there. For God said, Lest preventure the people repent, that they see war, and they return to Egypt. But God let the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went in harmless out of the land of Egypt. And so, who was leading them? Who? Now, when you give your life to Christ, it's not just for the forgiveness of sins, but for the restoration of your character. And then God begins to lead you. Now, God may lead you to some places you don't want to be led. God may bring you face to face to some situations you wish, wish you never have encountered. 
but he does it so that he can build your confidence in him, your faith in him, your trust in him. And that's why he brought him to the Red Sea, because he needed to deepen your experience and your trust in who he is and what he could do for them. And so the Lord would tell Moses in chapter 14, verse 13, say to the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you to you today. You see, when you're brought into a situation or perhaps a character trait is revealed to you in your heart, that's in your heart, and you don't want to deal with it, you'd rather not deal with it. God is saying, you know what? If you surrender that, you can experience my salvation. If you give that up, you can experience freedom. You see, friends, from the very beginning of the fall, from the start of the fall, onward, all the way through the Bible, throughout the history of Scripture, we see that God's burden is to restore man to his likeness and his image. But if we're not willing to let him lead, he cannot be stolen. The psalmist in chapter 23 would say, The Lord is my life. He leads me out to green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his ministry. So it may be a mountaintop experience, it may be an experience down in the valley. But those experiences are to bring about a restoration in our soul, a restoring of the image of God in each and every one of us. And so they would make it across the Red Sea, and they would sing the song of Moses, and they would come to a place where the water was filled. And what do you think about this? God showed himself strong. I don't know how many months, but I have to go back and check how long it took for them to be delivered out of Egypt. And they delayed the time of Christ's time. But imagine being led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God has now opened up the Red Sea. He's delivered you from the most powerful army in the world at that time. And now you come to a place where the water is bitter and you don't have anything to drink. What would you do? Would you just look at the circumstances before you and begin to murmur and complain? Or would you think about how God had been leading you? Of course, they would begin to murmur and complain. And God would take care of it. He would tell Moses what to do. The water would become sweet. They'd be able to drink it. But now, the rations of food start to run out. What do they do? What would you do? You know, often we criticize Israel for the murmuring complaining. Don't we? think, man, they, they came out, they're taking them free. Chapter 16, verse 4. Can we start with verse 2? They had departed out of the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron in the wilderness. 
the king of Israel said to him, Would to God we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. And we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the fold. For ye have brought us out forth into this wilderness to kill this poor assembly with hunger. Now think about this. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you individually and for myself. Now, the Bible tells us in Romans 8.32, if you get spared by his ransom, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us what? All things. You see, God has a huge investment in your life. And so that means he's going to take care of us. He's going to provide for us. He's going to lead us. He's going to instruct us. He's going to give us what we need when we need it at the right time. And there's no need for us to be filled with anxiety and fear because he will come through. Sometimes it's right at the last moment. But he always comes through. It may not be the way you and I expect it, but he does come through. This comes from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 292. But he had promised to be their God, to take them to himself as a people, and to lead them to a large and good land, but they were ready to think of every obstacle encountered in the way to that land. Do we often think in our journey? Do we find ourselves as they were, murmuring and complaining, taking and screaming? In a marvelous manner, he had brought them out from their bondage in Egypt, that he might elevate and noble, elevate and noble them and make them a praise in the earth. See, that's God's, that's God's purpose for each and every one of us, to elevate, to ennoble, and to make us a praise in the earth. That we can be an instrument of righteousness in his hand to bring the good news to somebody else. But it was necessary for them to encounter difficulties and to endure privations. God was bringing them from a state of degradation and fitting them to occupy an honorable place among the nations and to receive important and sacred trust. And that's why God raised itself as a church friend. We are not just another Protestant denomination. Let there be no mistake. The Lord has given us a message for this time. And you and I have the privilege and honor of taking that to other people. And the greatest message of all is the message of righteousness by faith. The righteousness in which you and I must obtain in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. The joy of sharing with somebody that Jesus died for you why you are a sinner, why you are ungodly, why you are an enemy, and that we can have peace with God through faith in Him, and that we can be justified, we can be looked upon by God the Father as if we have never sinned, as we accept the great gift of Jesus Christ. That we can have a fresh start. How many want a fresh start? I tell you what, I need a fresh start every day. How about you? And I'm thankful for that promise. I'm thankful that every day I can get up and anew consecrate myself to the Lord, knowing that the day before, where I fell, He has forgiven me. And I can have a fresh start. 
It gives me courage. It gives me a desire to do that which pleases God because I don't want to break His heart. And friends, until we come to that point in our walk with God that we we want to not stop sinning because we want to go to heaven because of the reward, but we want to put it away and cease and stop because we're tired of breaking the heart of our Heavenly Father. See, often we think about what it does to us and others around us, but what does it do to God? Every day we look down and he sees the actions of his children. So he is about to bring them from a state, he's bringing them from a state of degradation and sending them to occupy an honorable place among the nations to receive important and sacred points. Had they possessed faith in him in view of all that he had wrought for them, they would have cheerfully have borne inconvenience, privation, and even real suffering. But they were unwilling to trust the Lord any further than they could witness the continued evidence of his power. Do we find ourselves in that position? How far are you and I willing to trust the Lord? It is, is it is only as far as we have seen him leading? Do we reflect how he's letting the path? Or have we forgotten the many blessings he has bestowed, the many encouragements he has given, the many opportunities he has placed before us? It goes on to say, they forgot their bitter service in Egypt. They forgot the goodness and power of God displaying their behalf and their deliverance from bondage. They forgot how their children had been spared when the destroying angels flew all the firstborn of Egypt. They forgot the grand expedition of divine power into Red Sea. They forgot that while they were while they had crossed safely in the path that had been open for them, their enemies attempting to follow, had been overwhelmed by the waters of the sea. They saw and felt their only present inconvenience and trials. And instead of saying, God has done great things for us, whereas we were slaves, he is making us a great nation, they talked of the hardness of the way and wondered when their very pilgrimage would end. Murmuring and complaining, kicking and screaming, all by the way. Do we find ourselves doing the same thing? You see, if we find ourselves wondering when is it going to end, when is the end, when are the trials going to cease, when is the difficulty going to stop, do we forget that God is setting us free from the slavery of sin? Often I wonder, in our murmuring and complaining, how we saying to God, it was better for me, it would have been better for me if I had been left alone. I want you to think about this truth. When you murmur and complain against God's leading in your life, perhaps the things He is telling you to do or stop doing, to give up and walk away from Are you telling God you're a hard taskmaster? And it was better for me to remain saved. Let us not forget how God has been leading in our lives. 
You see, we're going to encounter difficulty, we're going to encounter trials, because, you know, Christianity isn't about convenience. I remember one time, my wife and I we had moved about, oh, five times within a year and a half, two, two years, five times in two years. And I remember saying, Lord, Lord, why do I have to keep moving? And I came across a devotion about how God continued to move Elijah around because he needed it for the development of his character. And when I read that devotion, I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to Where do you want me to go? Where would you have us be? Yes, friends, it can be difficult at times. It can be challenging. But never forget the opportunities that will come about on our behalf as we continue to walk with God on this journey. He would lead them down from there to Mount Sinai. There, he would tell them, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, how I bear your evil wounds and put them unto myself. The whole purpose of their deliverance was to bring them into a saving, beautiful relationship with God. And that's what he wants to do with each of us. He wants to make a covenant with us. But before that covenant is made, he would remind them that I am the one that brought you out of bondage. I'm the one that delivered you from slavery. You cannot set, you could not set yourself free. You've done nothing to add to the deliverance. All you've done was accepted what I have wrought for you in your behalf. And that's the story of the cross, friends. That's the message of righteousness by faith. We can't add to, we can't take away. All we can do is say, yes, Lord, I'll accept that, and I'll receive it. And you receive in Christ, that means believing in His Word, believing what He can do for you. That means there's a relationship there. And He would go on to give them, tell them in verse 5 or 19, Chapter 19, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all the peoples of the earth. For the earth is mine. And you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words which God shall speak unto the children of Israel. And then he would give them, he would tell them, there was certain preparation they were to make, they were come to the mountain. And God would speak to them. He would declare ten precepts, ten promises. Promises that, if received, would bring into their lives the very power of God, the very life of God. You see, each one of these commandments reveals something about the character of God. And you wonder. You have to wonder, and I did for quite some time there, when God says, I want to write my law in your heart and mind, what does it look like when you write in my heart you still have no other God before me? What does it look like when you write in my heart I shouldn't serve any of this? What will it look like in your heart when you write, don't take my name in vain? I began this journey several years ago studying this out. We hear often that the law of God is a transcript of his character, but what does that look like? We say the law is love, God is love. Okay? Well, how does that play out? I would sit down with a group of students several years ago, 
I used to talk to my principal to do a week of prayer, and he said, well, you know what? I'll agree. And I want 10 days, and I want one hour a day. I, I think I can work that out. That was a very small class. And I told her I wanted to go through the long character of God then. Because I wanted to use to know who God is. Because I believe if they would know who God is, then they would be moved by the love of God to surrender their lives and serve Him. And so we'd begin a journey. We would look at each of the commandments individually. And before I would step in that classroom, God would impress upon me to create a survey. And in that survey, ask the students what character traits they would like to see in their parents, their teacher, their friends, their employer, and their spouse. Many five people groups are in town in their life. They like to be realistic character traits, positive and negative. And I would show them how to sell them on. And at the end, I'd ask them to put their name. They would put their name to it and give it to them. And we'd begin this journey through the law of God. And I'm just going to briefly summarize each one of these commandments because I don't have time to see to go through them fully. But the first commandment. What is God asking for? Don't have any other guns. Be faithful. Let me ask you, friends, is faithfulness important in any Is it? It's absolutely essential. Remember, our relationship with God is, is, is in the context of a marriage relationship. He would say to Israel in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 13 or 14, he says, I'm married to you. And again, Paul understood this when he would express in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. John in Revelation understood this when he would depict the bridegroom and the bride. And he would talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb. So these character traits that are revealed in each one of these commandments gives us a revelation of who God is and what He wants to write in our heart and mind. So He wants to write faithfulness in our heart and mind. The second commandment, don't have any other idols. Don't make anything in the likeness of the heavens and above and earth beneath and bow down and worship Him. Is any man seeing God? Have you seen God face to face? God is holy. Tell me, how do you draw a picture of holiness? I think it would be like trying to describe the color blue to a man born blind from birth. How would you do that? It's an impossibility. But God would demonstrate his holiness by declaring he's kind and compassionate, forgiving and truthful. He's just and he's patient and he's righteous. Integrity. Friends, is integrity important in a relationship? Yes or no? Yes? I only heard one. Nobody agrees. Yes, integrity is important. Well, God wants us to live up to the name Christian things. Matthew is representing. He wants to write integrity in our heart. The fourth commandment. Allegiance, commitment. Is that important in relationship? Yes or no? Absolutely. What about respect for authority? Is that important? You know, if you don't honor authority, you teach your children to rebel against your own self as parents. You know that? What about promoting life instead of taking life? You know, our words 
can affect somebody's salvation. What we say, our attitude, our behavior has a huge impact on other people. So we can either promote life or take life. God says, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill, you shouldn't take life. Why? Because he's a life giver. He wants to show us in our, our very existence the attitude of giving life to others, to sharing the good news and the way we treat and interact with people. What about purity? Is purity important in a relationship? Yes or no? Yeah, don't commit it out to be pure. What about not stealing, but giving? Has God given all to you? What does he withhold? Nothing. And so he wants us to be given, not just in monetary ways, but the giving of self, a selfless life, is the greatest gift we can give to humanity and give to God, because that's what Christ demonstrated to us, that's what he wants to write in our heart. What about honesty and truthfulness? How many want that in your lives? What about contentment and gratitude instead of covetousness? You see, in each one of these commandments, there's a revelation of who God is, and this is what He wants to write in our heart and mind. He wants to restore us into His likeness, His image, but we have to be willing to cooperate with Him. Let me say this in the book of Education, page 34. In his dealings with the wanderers in the desert, in his dealings with the wanderers in the desert, in all their marchings to and so, in the exposure to hunger, citizen wearings, in their pearls from the heathen foes, and in the manifestation of his providence for the relief, God was seeking to strengthen their faith by revealing to them the power that is continually working for their good. And having taught them to trust in his love and power, it was his purpose to set before them. In the precepts of his law, the standard of character to which, through his grace, he desired them to attain. So it was interesting, by the time we got to the Eighth Commandment with his youth, they understood where the other gods were in their lives. They understood where the idols were in their lives. They saw where they misrepresented God by taking the name Christian. Not really living up to a life of integrity. Even at a young age, they began to notice and understand these things. I would have them go and pray and ask the Lord to reveal them. Go and pray and ask God to reveal this spirit in your life. And they would come back and they would serve me and say, God, you know what? God showed me this. God spoke to me. They were excited. They were encountering the living God through the presence of the Holy Spirit speaking to their heart. And they knew as I would explain to them. Just open your heart to God as to his own. That's what they give us. They forgive you. You're empowering And it's your willing and obedient to keep you on the right path. Your willingness comes from this. Are you willing to let God write that law in your heart and mind? Are you willing to let go of murmuring, complaining, taking and sticking the law in your life? You know, I still struggle with what's going Come on, let's face it, we're human, right? But that's not grieving the Lord. In closing, blessed is the man that walks out of the cold for the ungodly, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. Are you meditating upon the law of God day and night? What are your thoughts? 
and you shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. It is only as the law of God is restored to you to its rightful position can there be a revival of the faith in godliness. It's only as we understand it in the right context, and we understand this covenant promise that God has made to you and I, to write that law in our heart and mind. It's only as we encounter the living Christ in our daily devotions with Him. That means getting in the Word, spending time in prayer, coming out for the meetings, joining the fellowship, gathering strength and courage from one another. In all these ways, God is leading to restore us into His life and community. But if we neglect any part of it, we're hindering what He desires to do. Let us not hinder the Lord and what He desires to accomplish in each of our lives. The man in Brazil goes back. He knew, after attending several meetings, that God loved him. And God was willing to do for him what he could never do for himself, and that was to set him free from pride, arrogance, and other addictions that had brought him into slavery and bondage to the enemy. And as he stepped out in faith and studied the word, he gained his experience, and he was baptized. Now he's a member of the church, and he's leading them in different ways, and he's excited to share his faith. What has that done to his family? His son, who's followed in his footsteps, is now realizing that there's power in the world, that there's hope in the world, that the living Christ is able. And he too is making those steps to have his own experience that he too will be baptized. Let us follow God fully and completely, friends, and let us never, never, if I could be discouraged, we're just going to close with prayer as we've gone a little bit over. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the example of leading Israel out of Egypt. It gives us courage and hope. Thank you for hearing our cry. Thank you for seeing our tears that are shed. And thank you for coming to our aid. Thank you for the grace that has come forth and make the grace that's working in our soul. And thank you for drawing us to your son. It's all you from the beginning to the end. Give us strength, Lord, and the grace we need to submit to you, to resist the devil, to draw near to you, that he will flee from us. And we can have and continue to have a faithful relationship with the one that loves us most. Father, forgive us for where we have murmured and complained in this journey. Forgive us for we have forgotten how you have led us in the past. Forgive us for where we have forgotten the bitterness of slavery to sin. And continue to work in each of us. It's my prayer, Jesus' name. Amen.